Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to a very special um, edition of the the Royal Blue podcast as we uh, look back on the um, career of um, one of Everton's greatest ever players, uh, Neville Southall, on the occasion of the 25th anniversary of um, final game for um, the uh, Blues appearance um, record um, appearance holder. And um, I'm joined by a couple of um, special guests um, today. Um, We've got regular guest um, Gavin Buckland, Everton's official statistician. And I've got my old boss, um, former um, <laughs> Everton reporter at the, at the Echo, former head of sport at the Echo, and now senior communications manager at Everton, um, Dave Prentice. Hello, Dave. Good to be back on the podcast again. Yeah, um, so we're in a World Cup. Um, we've got all, um, we, we saw Qatar, um, Ecuador the day before we were rec- recording this, the opening game. I mean, it wasn't a great goalkeeping performance. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes to show, I mean, the irony, really, where somebody like Neville Southall, an amazing goalkeeper, best in the world by many people's opinion, he never got to play in that tournament. But we're going to hopefully look back at his, his, his amazing um, career at Goodison Park, stretch from um, 81 through to 97. Um, I'll turn to you, Dave, because you've got a particularly um, personal story about this particular um, game um, for you and, and, and your son. I mean, it, 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 was, a, it was amazing, um, really, to um, think that, you know, it was terrible day for Everton, the bottom of the table, lost um, Tottenham, think that, you know, we didn't know at the time it was going to be Southall's last game, but it, but it was, but at least there was one highlight of the day for yourself and the Prentice <laughs> family, as it were. Yeah, I was watching the uh, the, the highlights on YouTube again, just yeah. to familiarise myself with yeah. the match, because I, I recall it being like a particularly bad, gloomy day, but, you know, sort of lightened by the fact that Daniel, who was then two years and ten months old, not four years old, as the BBC commentator said at the time, oh, was introduced onto the pitch at half-time by Alan Myers, who was uh, part of the comms team at Everson then, and uh, toddled up to the park end, and uh, with his left foot, uh, sort of knocked the ball into the park end goal. The only goal we scored that day, because uh, <laughs> we got beat 2-0, um, a very you know more youthful David Schindler that later played for us, <laughs> um, absolutely went past Mitch Ward like he wasn't there to score the second goal. And uh, the last goal ever conceded by uh, by Neville Southall in an Everton jersey. And we never knew at the time, like you say, it was going to be his last game, but maybe we should have seen the writing on the wall a little bit. Neville had been dropped earlier uh, in January that year when Joe Royal left him out yeah. um, after the Bradford FA Cup debacle. And uh, I mean, Joe always talked about goalkeepers, like, you know, so fighters lose their punch resistance. Yeah. Goalkeepers lose their spring first, he always thought. And particularly that Chris Waddle goal in that game, he mm-hmm. thought that um, you know, so Neville wasn't getting off the ground, yeah. Know, so it was like more you know springly as he had done previously. And so he dropped in for Paul Gerrard for like you know so five or six games, and Neville came back, and then he'd done okay. Started in ninety seven, ninety eight under Howard, and you know so looked you know fairly secure. But just looking back at the uh, the run of results, we'd lost five in a row uh, or four in a row before that Tottenham game. And Howard had just bought Thomas Meyer for £800,000, which was a reasonable sum of money. Mm. And Howard was nothing if not decisive. 
And um, you know, and he decided then he was going to make the change, and he did. You know, he dropped Neville for the uh, the game, the following game at Elland Road. Thomas Myra kept a clean sheet and started his Everton career very solidly. And that was the end of it. We didn't realise at the time, but that was his 751st and final Everton appearance. Yeah. So sad in many respects, but also quite symbolic, really, that Howard gave him his debut way back in '81 and gave him his final appearance way back, you know, 16 years later in 1997. And like you say. Lightened by Daniel scoring the only Amazon goal that day. Yeah. I mean, uh, Gav, we're going to come on to many, many positives and many, many highlights. Sorry. But obviously, if we get this out of the way first, I mean, I suppose none of us, are, I suppose football is such a ruthless business. You, you, you don't decide when you go out often. It's not your it's not your decision. I mean, what did your recollections of that particular time, did he perhaps go on a little too, too long? Yeah. Yeah, I think he'd be, what, 36, 37? Um, as Prano said, he's um, you know 16, 16 years at the top is a long time. So it's not just his age. Just like thirty six or thirty seven. <laughs> it's just um, it's the length of the career, though, isn't yeah. it? You know, you've got like he'd made his debut for us in, in eighty one. He'd been a pro for the best part of twenty years. So it's not just his age. Just that, that you know the. The length of time, the number of games you play for Everton, you know, that's going to that's going to dictate things. And possibly you get the impression, I think he said in his book, that him and Joe maybe didn't have the best of relationships because of like that. As Pano was saying, Joe thought he was past his best. Mm. And Neville being, you know, the, you know, having pride in it, you know, he was the supreme professional, wasn't he? Yeah. And like 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 that sometimes to die another light, you, you find it difficult to accept. And he was possibly 18 months before, maybe should have finished, but Neville wanting to, to carry on as long as he could. And as Dave said, 97, 98, he starts out off the season quite well. Mm. Um, but like, I think maybe if he'd have been in a better team, he would have been perhaps still playing in goal. But because that, I was saying before the start of the uh, the pod, that was probably certainly the worst Everton team I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, 97, 98, uh, that was always going to show the flaws up in Neville's game and, and his age. And um, consequently, he, he sort of bore the bronze of that. And it was totally understandable how it did. But I'd say in a better team, he may have still been in goal, but yeah, I think he went out. I think that was probably the, the sort of latest time he could have gone with, with well, still retaining a bit of dignity. If there'd been another six months after that, it would have been completely yeah. shambolic. So I think that was about the last time he could have gone, November 97. But we, the way he just looked, that was the natural end, shall we say. I think anything beyond that was, he would have been there, uh, would have been struggling a bit. Yeah, I mean, we all talk about Neville Southall quite rightly so, you know, for the peak of his powers, widely regarded as the best goalkeeper in the world. But Dave, it wasn't inevitable that they would go on to that. Obviously, signed for very modest circumstances from Bury in 1981. Part of was it Howard's uh, Magnificent Seven, as they were called at the time, and how they had ever made it. Two goalkeepers in that yeah, list yeah. as well. So it wasn't cut and dry that you know, he had this tough route to the top, of course. Was it Hod Carrier? Waiter, Ben Man, of course, um, the non-league football, working through the fourth division with Betty. And it, it, it wasn't a given that he was he was going to be this big star. No, far from it. I mean, the, the best two players of that seven were the goalkeepers. Yeah. I mean, uh, Neville ultimately, and Jim Arnold, who kept him out of the team for the first couple of seasons because Jim Arnold was a very good goalkeeper. And um, the, the, the transformation in Neville came, ironically, after that, you know, sort of, absolutely traumatic derby defeat, you know, the 5-0 where Ian Rush scored four. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it affected Neville mentally so much that Howard quite correctly thought it was a good idea to get him away from the club and I was on loan. And so he went away on loan and uh, 
just came back a different player. I remember mm. Kevin Ratcliffe saying, um, you know, so what's happened to Neville? Because he just suddenly found a voice because he was quite a shy, retiring individual. And it sounds mad to say this about Neville now, but I still think he has that element in him. Yeah. And, you know, he's very loud and he's very, you know, has a lot of bluster sometimes and speaks his mind a lot. And I think that is born of the fact that deep down, I think he is quite quite a shy, you know, sort of sensitive fella, if yeah. you like. Mm-hmm. And um, I think going away on loan allowed him to basically discover his voice and to discover that newfound confidence. And he just came back, you know, so a, a changed man with more confidence, with more opinions and, uh, and and more forthright. And then, you know, when he got his place back again, and, you know, so it was at 82, 83, um, he just didn't look back. And, you know, so 83, 84 was the turning point where he suddenly started, you know, showing us uh, the goalkeeper that he was going to become. And you're absolutely right, you know, so from 85, when he was the Football Writers Player of the Year, through to 91, 92, maybe, which is a seven year spell for me. He was the best bar none, you know, so you know, in, in our country, certainly, and probably worldwide as well. He, he was just absolutely outstanding, you know, so game after game, season after season, best I've ever seen. Yeah. And we talk about that journey to being number one, Gavin. I mean, we're all older now than what Nev was when he, he finished. Yeah. Uh, he, Only for me, I mean, I'm 43, but I remember when Neville Southall had always been the goalkeeper for Everton for me growing up. So I was born in 79, you got to think so. The Conservatives just came into power just before then, and they yeah. stayed in to 97. I mean, Nev won't let me talking about him and them in the same sentence, but um, right through to 97, it was the Tory rule. And then yeah. for me, beyond before my football consciousness, it was always that Neville Southall was Everton's goalkeeper until I was 18 years of age. I was 18 when he played that last game for Everton. He'd always been Everton's goalkeeper, in, in my mind, always number one. But as Dave just said, you know, the first couple of years, dropping back down to the fourth division on loan, yeah, back, battling out with Jim Arnold for number one. Um, it, it it wasn't smooth for him to be getting these these great heights of becoming the, the yeah, but he wasn't one. even first yeah. choice in the Wales Wales goalkeeper mm-hmm. uh, position. Man, the schoolboy had it. Uh, wasn't Eddie Mitzvah? He was, wasn't he? Right. I've played out fifth, didn't play centre half, <laughs> didn't he? And I think I think um, I think his first season eighty one eighty two I think he was very good actually he came yeah. in unexpectedly I think when Jim got into the against uh, Jim sort of cried off the morning of the game against Ipswich and I came in right. and he was actually he was absolutely outstanding I tell you what game he was brilliant the famous game against Spurs in January eighty two when Sharpie scored a great goal yeah, okay. um, Nev was absolutely fantastic in that game Keith Perkins showed the Spurs manager who wasn't great on platitudes he, you know he was tough. Said after the game, so I've never heard to the Everton keeper before. Um, <laughs> but he was absolutely outstanding, you know. He sort of kept us at bay the entire game, so he's had a really good team. So 81 82, when he came in, um, you know, because Jim was injured, he was outstanding. But mm-hmm. as Dave said, it was after the Liverpool game, and he got back in at 83 because Jim was Jim had had the poor start of the season 83 84, made a few mistakes, and then uh, Nev came in the September and kept us. Position, so I mean, there were signs. I don't like to talk about the Liverpool game, but 81 82, there were signs that he was a very good goalkeeper. I mean, and going back even before then, Howard is that great story, isn't it? But Howard got a tip off off a, a pub landlord in Landlord yeah, of the Neville pub, yeah, you know, the eight, yeah. yeah. And Howard decided to sign my Blackburn, didn't he? But yeah. he, because he didn't have the money, he couldn't sign him. So he was been on Howard's radar for probably 18 months before mm. he signed in 81. Um, but when he came in. As you say, it was, you know, it was probably 
you know, if you think about it, 85, he'd been with the club four years. So he was like the last one of one how you know, Howard signed. And so in some respects, that'd been a tough road for him. But I think he, the talent was always there. Mm-hmm. Even when he was in the, you know, I talk longer, 81, 82, Everton reserve team at the start of the season, there was always talk even then that Nev was a really good, really good goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, so although it seemed like a, a long road, he'd always had the talent. You know, I think it was recognised that, and um, he, you know, and that that talent really flourished, didn't it? You know, as Pemo said, he cut eighty three, eighty four. He came; he was a completely different keeper. By it, his progress, once he became established in eighty three, his progress then was astonishing, mm-hmm. astonishingly quick. Um, by the end of eighty three, eighty four, he was he was taught. You know, remember the eighty four semi final against Southampton, Shilton's in goal for Southampton, Southall and goal for Everton. And the talk was this is like the two best goalkeepers yeah. in England. Yeah. Uh, or so if you think about Nev's only sort of being a permanent fixture for what six, eight months, that's how fast the progress yeah. was that season, 83-84, as Pano said. And uh, he was outstanding at Hydri where Shilton was uh, a little bit flaky. And from then on, as Dave said to me, 91, he was he was he was by far the way the best goalkeeper in the country. And eventually, up the best of the world. You know, you name me a better goalkeeper. Yeah. I can't. People ask me now about the best Premier League goalkeeper, and people always, you know, point to Peter Schmeichel. And I'm not sure about that, you know, because Schmeichel was a great goalkeeper, but you know, he also, you know, sort of made his fair share of mistakes. And uh, and Neville, you know, sort of straddled the Premier League era. And I suppose '92, he was just about, you know, sort of passing his peak mm-hmm. then. So '92 to '97, you never saw the best of Neville Southall. But you know, he still won an FA Cup in that era, you know, so he still had that presence and that, you know, sort of stature. So I don't know, there's an argument that he still you know deserves to be included in the conversation Absolutely. about them. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The journalist there, uh, Paddy Barkley, he's very experienced, wasn't he? You know, said that uh, even in the Premier League era, the first few years of the Premier League, what should be what, 92 to 95, said Neville was still one of the best goalkeepers yeah. he's ever seen. Absolutely. So yeah. that's sort of like, yeah. you think about that's 12, 13 years after his Everton debut. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was about to mention, you said before, Dave, he obviously was football writers, football of the year, and this season that Everton won the title for the first time under Kendall. I just got my notes there. Um, Manchester City's Bert Troutman had won it before. Gone Banks with Stoke City and Tottenham's Pat Jennings won. Thirty-seven years on now, not had another goalkeeper there. So right. I mean, get that sort of tells its own story as well, well doesn't it? In a tight winning season, the goalkeeper gets played. It, it does. I mean, I, I've always thought like the, the Football Writers Award is always a bit of a strange one, uh, and you know, certainly in that era, it was dominated by the London-based press. And um, I think what helped Neville is like the famous, you know, sort of, you know, save against Tottenham, the Mark Falco header, and his reaction to it afterwards, you probably straight at me, uh, you know, was in front of the London press, who were yeah. very, very influential, and it was late in the season as well, you know, so when they were making that decision, because uh, he thoroughly deserved it. Yeah. Um, you know, he was absolutely incredible that season. It seems a bit odd, but, you know, one of the standout moments for me that season of knowing how great Neville was 
was a goal he conceded when we were playing Bayern, the famous game at home. Yeah. And uh, we, you know, we, we'd done well. We obviously we dominated, but we'd had a lot of the ball. And then uh, just before half time, Ludwig Kogel, uh, the the pacey winger, broke clear. What on one with Neville? And I just knew Neville was going to stop it. He came out, and I just knew. Did you just had that absolute faith in him? And this yeah. is as a fan. Yeah. Imagine what the players were thinking. You know, Howard always said to the players, "Don't concede free kicks on the edge of the box. They've got to beat Neville first. Don't give penalties away. They've got to beat Neville." Yeah. Um, so he goes through, and I knew he was going to save it, and he did. He blocked it, but the ball span awkwardly away, and it fell very, very, you know, sort of kindly for. Um, Honus and uh, you know he picked the ball up and just like sort of rolled in the rebounds and so it seems strange but I just I had that faith in him I yeah. knew he was going to block the original shot the one on one and he did and uh, the only time they beat him all night you know he was he was just you know sort of forcing yeah. nature that, that points to one and that one and that was great sense I think as a keeper was one one on ones was that he's six foot one but he wasn't big you know never wasn't a big big yeah. unit yeah. Um, and. He, but I remember Wilf McGuinness, I think it was coach at Berry, and Wilford being Man United manager, seen mm-hmm. it all in terms of football. He said he'd never seen a goalkeeper fill the goal. Yeah. He just had that aura about him. Right. But as a, as a striker, if you, again, Wilf would have like, you know, sort of saying to himself, as a, as a player, as a striker, he'd never seen a goalkeeper fill the goal as yeah. much as Neville yeah. on one on ones, even though Neville wasn't naturally. Mm. And, you know, Wilf, Wilf, and it was quite a telling that he'd say that because. You know, never on one on ones was, was fantastic. I mean, yeah. I know Rush scored a few, but he also blocked a hell of a lot of uh, Ian Rush's one on ones. And yeah, it was, it, 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 you forget that he wasn't massive, Nev. But yeah, was, it, it's, it's funny you're goal. talking about yeah. Rushy there because I remember many, many years later having a conversation with an Everton goalkeeping coach, Chris Woods, yeah. who was, uh, you know, an England goalkeeper. And I remember Harry used to be the gate man or at Belfield and then became a kit man, uh, Harry Scott. And uh, we were away in Holland, and uh, we were just chatting away to Chris about, you know, so you know, great you know, goalkeepers. And uh, we'd said that Neville was the best we'd seen. And Chris wasn't having it. No, no, no. I was better than Neville. And I suppose that's got to be a goalkeeper's like yeah. self confidence. Wow. <laughs> and we, we were saying, really, you were better than Neville. And we were like mocking him, saying, no, no, mate. And he said, how many times did Rushy, you know, sort of dink the ball over him? How many times? He wouldn't have done that to me. And uh, so we started bringing up, you know, going down too early and numerous other goals he conceded. Wow. But, you know, it's almost just a goalkeeper's yeah. mindset. You've got to be absolutely so single-minded. But, yeah, but he, he picked out, uh, you know, so Rushy beat them so many times. But Rushy has said himself, yeah. he says that, okay, you know, he's proud of the Derby match goal scoring record that he holds. He goes, but he genuinely believes he'd have doubled it if, uh, if he hadn't been playing. Yeah, level. and I think also as well, because of the way, I mean, I don't want to talk about like Evans' tactics in the mid-80s of a long time, but line, we played yeah, that very yeah, high yeah, line, yeah, which yeah. which allowed Russia yeah. far more than against every other team, really, yeah. against every other striker. Yeah. And that always has to be taken into account. And I saw, I could think of loads of one-on-ones where yeah. Nev uh, blocked Russia. Yeah. Um, two wins at Anfield, 84, 85, 85, 86. He did about three or four yeah. in those two games. So, yeah, I know what Chris is saying, but... Yeah. It's not just about that, is it? Really, no, no. It, it it you know yeah. about one on ones it makes it a great yeah. keeper. Um, you know, Nev, Nev was um, there's an interesting article that Gordon Banks did for the the Daily Mail in '84. Um, he went to we played Villa just before the cup final, and we sent Banks to to Villa Park to just to give you know the, the you know scouting Nev watch, yeah. yeah. and Banks was very very you know, complimentary about him. He said he said even he said. All the sense, and he says, "This is no discernible weakness." I can yeah. see in his game, and Nev by then has only not even reached his peak. Yeah, you know, he's a couple of years off his peak. I always think Nev's peak years were probably eighty-seven to ninety-one, 
and it, and some for somebody of Banks's experience and ability, mm-hmm. and he'd be old school as well, Gordon. He wouldn't get platitudes yeah, out, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, greatly to say that about Nav, who's still relatively young. You know, I'm not, not on a full season at Everton yeah. at 80 to 84. To say that just shows that even by 84, he was pretty much the full package yeah. as a goalkeeper, but still his best years were to come. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dave mentioned that save, that save up to you at Tottenham Hospital. You were there that I was there, yeah. yeah. Day, I, think lane. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what, what your recollection of that? Neff said, Neff said, I hate it straight at me, but come on, it, it's got to be up there. Yeah, it? I mean, I think there's points to main at Neff's main stand as a keeper to me, apart from the one on ones. Is if you ever see the show videos on, on, on uh, social media, Neff, great saves. There's not many from outside the area. There's already flings myself across the goal. Yeah. Most of most of the, 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 the saves he makes are reaction saves in and around six yard box. Mm-hmm. You know, think of the Varadi one at Sheffield Wednesday. Really. He celebrates, almost celebrates. There was an he? unbelievable save off John Barnes at Anfield yeah. uh, at the Anfield Road end. He tends to be very very close range efforts where he's reacting, and consequently, it doesn't look you know great the save when you look at things straight at him. But you, you forget the speed yeah. of the header. I mean, Falco absolutely bulleted that header. And, the, you know, the pressure of the game, he can't be being under the rack for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes in that game after Spurs had scored. And I was at the other end of the pitch. My main recollection of that is the crowd cheering the goal. Yeah. yeah. And and then, so the Nev stops it and it, it goes out. And then it's just a stunned silence. Yeah. You know, as if you've you've witnessed a miracle or something like yeah. that on, on the pitch. Everybody's just you know, everyone's just stunned silence in the ground. And then I think on the uh, the news clip, the famous news clip, you see Dave Clements at the other end, he knew about goalkeeper, yeah. he was a fantastic goalkeeper in, in in his own right. You know, he's applauding because he recognised the greatness of the same. And that and that's Neville's greatness, isn't it? What what the great players do, they they're at the best of the most important yeah. moments, not only in games, but in titles and stuff. And that was a pivotal moment in the title race because Spurs get back to two all a couple of minutes left, couldn't make a winner. Yeah, yeah. And but we went two one and then we had then aren't we in the league? And and that's what great players do. They they, they intervene yeah. at the most appropriate moments. And that's what Neville did that day. And I'm quite glad in the press afterwards. The Southern Press were, you know, if you read the Southern Press report today after it's all compared and it's the famous bank say, but yeah. I like you know, as the best yeah. save he'd seen since then. And that was my main recollection of, of the night and the aftermath of that. It was all about that save that night, you know. I wasn't there that night, but I mean, I a couple of years later, when he probably was at his peak, uh, start of the 88 season, when we signed Tony Cotty, and he'd uh, scored the hatchet against Newcastle on the opening day, and we went to Coventry the next game, and if we won one nil, and everybody focused on Tony Cotty because he scored the winner again. And he said afterwards, you know, well, I was going to get 20 goals this season. If I carry on getting service like that, I might get 40. Yeah. So there was like real focus on him. But that was for me Neville's greatest performance. Yeah. Um, you talk about like those, like, you know, so I've just witnessed the miracle moments. There are about three or four. Yeah. 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 There was a penalty save from Brian Kilcline anyway. And Brian Kilcline was, uh, she was an agricultural penalty <laughs> taker. He just put his head down and leathered it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so Neville parried it. There was a save from uh, Greg Downs from a free kick on the edge of the box, which was Aaron to the top corner. And it's one of those where he puts it over the bar. How has that happened? Then there was one from was it Bannister, the, uh, the yeah, centre-forward. Yeah. And the ball had gone into the box and Bannister deflected it in the six-yard box, you know, so last-minute deflection. And again, Neville managed to reposition himself to touch it over. And it was just one of those where he was never going to be beaten no matter what was thrown at him that day. 
It was incredible that day. That that was peak now for yeah. 88, 89. Yeah. I was at West Ham on about 88 uh, Easter Monday. And it was similar performance, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. it was just and some of that's on on, on the, the internet. I remember that there's quite a few games, 88, 89, 90, where after the game, one of the opposition said, that's the best goal even yeah. performance I've ever seen. Yeah. John Sillard said that yeah. the Coventry manager after yeah. the Coventry game. After the West Ham game in 88, all the West Ham players, Leroy, the senior member, mm -hmm. said that it was just, it was just unbelievable. Yeah. Said, it was the best goalkeeping performance I've ever seen in, yeah. in our lives. The players have just said, and there was a few, a few at, at that time, and that's when Nev was at his absolute peak, 88 to 91, as I yeah. say. Strange enough, Peter Reid in his, in his book said that he felt that Nev wasn't the same keeper after his injury. Really, yeah? In 86, right? Oh, wow. so, uh, yeah. It was rather strange. I, I think, he was probably better. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Oh, I, 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 dis I agree with you, disagree yeah. with you there, because yeah. yeah, from that period, 87 onwards, he was like, Peerless, yeah, yeah. Peerless. That was funny, yeah. the 86, the injury, because, you know, like, like the JFK moments, yeah. lots of people could remember where they were when they found out Nev was injured because he was so sick. Down road, yeah, because yeah, it was March 86, the title eight is still coming to, you know, coming to the boards, you know, some of the people. And I remember there, uh, I was in a pub on West Abbey Road, and he might come in and said, Neville's broken his leg. And he's gone, no, you can't, yeah. you know, it's like, it's a bit like Gordon Banks, you know, missing yeah. the game against West Germany in the 70 World Cup. You know, the one player who's yeah. totally indispensable in the team, finding out he was injured, you know, and he was going to be out for a, a long time. And that was a pivotal, in that, that title race in 85, 86, if never, never stayed in goal, we'd have won it because it, it was the surety. I don't know, I mean, team. Bobby Mims, he had six consecutive clean sheets from coming in. And, uh, you know, so didn't, we got beat at Oxford, didn't we? Yeah. And then, uh, I can't really think of any goals that we conceded that, you know, so might have made a difference apart from the cup final. Yeah. I think, but my, my thing, thinking on that is, I think the team changed the style because Mims possibly, in goal. Possibly, yeah. Because yeah. when, when Nev's in goal, yeah. Four, yeah, as yeah. a team, you know, we can we can play with a bit more freedom. Yeah. We've got Southall behind us. Yeah. I think in 86, there was a conscious effort by the team at the Howard was telling yeah, them to, be, to yeah. say, right, okay, yeah. drop a little bit deeper. Yeah. Don't be as progressive as what you yeah. normally are because we've got an ancient goal he's yeah. a young keeper and I, I yeah. think they wouldn't have done and you see the end of yeah. that season that, that, well, especially away from home that, that were quite tensitive Yeah, and I think it was having Mims in goal I think if Southall would be in goal and the confidence that gave yeah. the players I think they would have been far more adventurous and um, I think sometimes the goal people see the goals they can see they think oh yeah it didn't make a difference I think they made a lot of difference at the other end of the pitch yeah and um, the yeah, place. yeah yeah and I think um, I think that was the difference it was just the confidence if imagine like 86 says you've got Nev behind you yeah, yeah. Said, how much that confidence does that give you as, as a team as a defense yeah yeah I mean we've mentioned some of the saves already um, Dave and uh, one of the things I sort of see when I watch them back is the double saves he makes when he, he saves yeah. he saves a chance as a rebound and he's on that one straight away for the yeah. rebound and I guess a lot of that is part of his training his grueling training regime he, he trained harder than anybody would the, yeah there was one against Liverpool um, I think it was a Goodison was it the double save was it Aldridge and Barnes maybe yeah. down the park end and it was but yeah he, he did work harder than anybody else yeah. I mean uh, that he was he was renowned for it and uh, all the players used to say that they used to hate being like you know. Used to feel sorry for the other goalkeepers in the squad because they all had to match those levels because he was always first into training that was in the days when i was going down to belfield every day yeah and um his car his big you know volvo 
would always be parked and he parked right outside the front door. Everybody else had their parking spaces apart from that. He insisted on parking right outside the door. But he was always in it, like, you know, so eight o'clock, quarter past yeah. eight, but the place didn't turn up till nine. And uh, and he'd go in and um, bizarrely, he'd always have like a sausage butty or something before he went out. And then he'd go and train and, uh, and just work ridiculously hard. And then, then he was last to leave as well. And he did, that was just his, his makeup. Um, he, he wanted to push himself and push himself. And he, even then, you know, so people used to like sort of mock about his size. People used to think he was carrying a bit of weight. And maybe because they're sausage butties. Yeah. But, you know, and he didn't used to like sort of show his like, you know, so show him to the fans. And, you know, he was, he was trim. Yeah. Then. Uh, but yeah, he worked absolutely, you know, so fanatically uh, sort of on the training ground. And uh, just because he was, he was driven. He was, he was professional. He wanted to be the best. And, and he was, you know, he worked hard at being the very, very best. But that's what you normally sound to goalkeeper. That's what great players do, don't they? They want that's it's in their DNA to make the most of themselves, like, and it's all about being the best. Right now, Cristiano Ronaldo, yeah, absolutely, yeah. exactly the same. Yeah. And not only that, but his warm ups on match day were also, especially if you went away from home, like you, you sort of big cut to the way and it's not yeah. normally to say, I'm an happy to suck. He's just fine. I never go off the pitch, absolutely filthy. That's right, yeah. And the game was not even started. Yeah, yeah. He was just worked so hard before the game, yeah. you know, just to get the, the feel of the pitch, feel of the ball on the occasion. So it's just everywhere he went, he just worked enormously, enormously hard. And it's, that story is insane. And there's no like of like Tanya and yeah, there's back and dive across and same thing. But it must I think there's a few players who said it was, as a striker, it was disheartening yeah. saying them against that because you always, you always well, stopped it. That, yeah. that was it. They said that there was one particular training session or you know several times where he would actually keep goal and not use his hands. Yeah, yeah. And he would like dive down and block the ball with his chest and with his head and stuff like that. Again, indicating his bravery. And uh, did it on international duty with Wales, but apparently the only player he would never do it with was Ian Rush. He would yeah. always use his hands with Rush. But yeah, just and, you know, you can imagine how dispiriting that is for a striker. Mm-hmm. You're going through and someone's stopping you a shot without even using his hands. Yeah. <laughs> and, and never chip him. Yeah. You might get yeah. chased all around Belfield, yeah. I think, if you chip yeah. him, you know. Yeah. But it's just a just just a fantastic I mean, he's easily the best I can keep a yeah. uh, player I've seen. Yeah. Oh yeah, by 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 some distance. Yeah. And we talked about perhaps his, his his best years. Okay, he got football year in '85. I mean, we think he was his best years were possibly, as you say, late '80s going to the early '90s. The team has declined, but he's still at the the peak of his powers. And I suppose that sort of culminates with that whole 1990. What happened there with this the yeah. sit down protest against Leeds United on the opening day? I mean, that was a, there was a strange one at the time. Wasn't it was. It? I mean, I think I think now if it become a bit frustrated to think in '90. In that he'd, I think he might have made two or three transfer requests. Yeah. And we got an Egyptian keeper from the World Cup, Ahmed yeah. Shubia, mm-hmm. who came in. And I think they'd had him on a two week trial. And after a couple of days, Collins said, No, we're there. Yeah. We're going to sign him, you know. And as, about, as, it, as it happened, the, the work payment, he couldn't get a work payment for. So I don't know whether Nev thought Colin was sort of sending him a little bit of a message, you know. And I think he'd become frustrated then because of his high standards. Maybe he thought that those people coming in perhaps didn't have them. And remember, there's a great double, total great double save. There was one of Philip Park in '80s, incredible save off David Platt. Came went out wide, fell across the day. He then he went far post. He went rushing along the, the goal line. Tony, I think it was Tony Daly coming, blocked it at the uh, the far post. And you're thinking like, oh, that's fantastic! That's an incredible goalkeeper. And then the ball went out uh, to to um, the halfway line. 
came back in and David Platt scored. And you can just see, I was watching yeah. it last week, there's a picture of Nev just getting the ball out of the net and just kicking it up. Yeah. It's as if to say, I've done, done all, all that, I've done yeah. here, like you know, and I'm still being let down, you know, and you know, I'm at my best and everybody else declined. It just it just looked like that. And I think all that frustration came to head. I think in I think in ninety, where he's had a um, you know, he'd had like, you know, three or four fantastic seasons, but things were slipping, um, maybe on and off the pitch as we know. And um, we played Leeds on the opening day. And um, you know, I think I know you would know probably know more than me because you were reporting at the time. You know, I remember being at the game. I thought it looks, looks a bit odd. And of course, you went to the Leeds end, which was which yeah. was strange. You know, I think we're probably that's where we were playing. It was just funny the Leeds fans' reactions, well, wasn't yeah. it? He, he, was, he was. He was. I think he was actively trying to get out of yeah, the club yeah, at yeah. the time. And uh, like you say, put in transfer requests, and uh, that was the area when Manchester United were desperate to sign him. And uh, Alex Ferguson rang him in his car, you know. So obviously, strictly legal these days, you yeah, know. So yeah. tapping players up, but Neville thought it was Andy Gray winding yeah. him up. <laughs> and, uh, and I won't use the language that Neville used, you know, yeah. sort of on the podcast. But he basically, you know, sort of swore at me himself. And then you know, Alex rang him back again. No, 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 it is Alex Ferguson. Yeah. And uh, Neville didn't believe him. And you know, United wanted it badly, uh, but Everson quite cleverly and quite correctly that tied him down to a seven-year contract yeah. which is unheard of back then mm. seven years you know so a contract yeah. uh, because he was so good uh, and he signed it and i think that was like two or three years into the contract and he thought you know you could see that things were slipping and uh, maybe he did he was looking to try and get away and so he claims that he knew he wasn't playing well and he wanted to walk out and clear his head and sit on the goalpost and in that documentary he's done recently on the BBC, he sort of concedes that, you know, so he acted a bit stupidly. Mm. Uh, he won't say as much, but you can read between the lines and you think, yeah, I think he concedes that, you know, he didn't behave well that day. Because uh, Colin didn't even know he'd walked out. Mm. You know, so, you know, so Colin yeah. just had no idea until the following day when they, the press rang him to ask him, you know, so what, what he made of it all. And um, I think he did that deliberately to, you know, so look, you know, so I've had enough, you know, so I'm... I'm, I'm Pulling me tripod, like you say, I'm doing everything I possibly can, and things aren't going right. And uh, we got we came back actually into that game, we only got beat 3 2 in the end. Uh, but it was the start of like so quite a grim slide, really. That ended up with you know, so Colin losing his job, Howard coming back in, and even then, you know, so the magic had gone, and things were like I don't know, on an even keel for a few seasons until Howard went in '93, yeah. and then it was a uh, well. Mike Walker, yeah, I think there was a story that because they had that you know, he's had that shambles and cuff final with one, he'd had these two goalkeepers, yeah, and he uh, came in, yeah, yeah, Jim Lee. And I think Ferguson in the summer of '90 identified him. And I think the story is Wales were playing international mid, mid September, and he'd instructed one of his players to, to have a word with, yeah. with Nev. Yeah. And um, but in the interim. They had the incidents at Leeds, yeah. and I think Fergus thought, you know, he'd had a, had a few, shall we say, HR issues with a couple yeah. of players. And I thought, I don't want another one like yeah, yeah. After that. And, and he passed them by. I mean, I think Kenny was interested, wasn't he? Yeah. I think I Kenny think was so, a huge yeah. admirer. Um, there was rumours, I think Nash said in his book, there was rumours of like doubling the British transfer record yeah. uh, to four million. And I know Real Madrid were interested, and Barcelona, but he ended up, uh, there was a bit of a a legal case there but you know with the newspaper over Barcelona and so I think by 90 I suppose really his reputation is that he lost that he, those five years not playing in Europe when he was at yeah. his peak I think yeah. not of all the players whose reputations could have really been enhanced 
by that. It was and we nice. combined that with the lack of the World Cup yeah, stuff yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, teams. So we saw my best goalkeeper in the world, and you said, you know, Karim was in Russia, and you know, so say Faf, and he didn't do himself any favours. A Goodson didn't yeah. play for for, for uh, Bayern Munich. You're looking at players in international duty, yeah. you know, in World Cups, and there's nowhere near as good as never. And never yeah. fantastic for Wales. You know, some of his performances for Wales that you see around that time, uh, say Denmark and Holland, I think in 88, they were, they were supernatural yeah. as well, you know. So it wasn't just for Everton that made him a great keeper, it was for Wales as well. Yeah. Well, bizarrely, yeah, I mean, that documentary, the BBC, really starts mm-hmm. with the 7-0 defeat by Holland yeah. when he was man of the match. He yeah. got the man of the match award, having yeah. conceded seven, because, yeah. you know, again, it could have been double that number. But in 88, they got beat 1-0. I remember watching them, they get, like, BBC Wales on the, yeah. uh, on the old... On the, 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 the Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dim, dim. I, I watched the Wales-Holland uh, game in 88 live, uh, and after the game, uh, Rod Hobbs had South Hobbs best goalkeeper in the world. Yeah. So Rod Hobbs saying that, is, you know, you've got to see that in all seriousness, haven't you? The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I mean, Dave's mentioned those those monster contracts. I've got my notes there. He signed a um, six and a half, a six year deal in December '85. Then, as Dave mentioned, a seven and a half year deal in December '88. But that was actually very canny, I suppose, from from Everton's point of view, because we're talking about 1990 and the unrest. Um, Nigel Martin is the first million pound goalkeeper that year, well, yeah. earlier that season. Are you thinking that's that's obviously the benchmark for goalkeepers and? In, in the UK, and as Dave's mentioned, that, that interest, possible interest from Manchester United there, I think it, it almost made him untransferable in that someone was probably going to have to pay about three or four million for him. Well, that's the what they were talking yeah. about, weren't yeah. they? Um, yeah, I mean, I think in Neville's sort of side of it, though, you know, in that respect, you know, you said it sounds good, to say, you know, all that money, you know, security at 88, but that's when the early 90s when the Premier League kicked in, that's when the players' wages started, you know, um, up in a lot. And I think some of the discontent, I think, around the mid-90s was that there was players coming in who who were nowhere near as good as Neville, but were on more money than them yeah. because he'd signed the contract in sort of pre-Premier League, yeah. Italian 90 days. And um, I think that that was, I know that was sort of a source of frustration for him, understandably so. So there's two sides to that. It sort of gave the club a bit of security in terms of like, if you could move, but it also worked against Neville. Mm-hmm. In some respects, because nobody thought in 88, you'd see some of the ways that that was yeah. happening around in, in the mid, mid, mid-90s for pretty bog-standard players, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I think that would... You know, it, it worked for him against a long-term contract for both club and uh, player. Yeah, and then we, we move on, um, Dave. I mean, Nev at first thought he might be onto a winner getting a, a Welsh goalkeeper as manager yeah. at Everton, and, and then Mike <laughs> Walker. But I mean, they they just didn't get on. And I suppose one of the, uh, the sort of incidents that highlights that was uh, the infamous time on was it pre-season tour, and uh, Nev um, went up for his big pre-match warm-up with. Uh, 
some items of kit missing. Uh, <laughs> that's one way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, my first pre-season tour with Everton was 93 to Switzerland uh, when Howard was the manager. Yeah. And um, Neville wasn't there for the first two or three days uh, because uh, Howard indulged him. You know, he realised how important he was. Neville didn't like being away from home. And so he let him spend the first two or three days at home until uh, we played our first our first friendly match. Yeah. And then, you know, so Neville you know, appeared in the hotel. And I remember it very, very clearly because he sat down with a pot of tea because, uh, you know, he loved his tea, brought his own tea out with him. Chris and me, TJ, because apparently looked, I thought it looked like TJ Hooker, the William Shatner character from, <laughs> from television. And the, the worst nicknames bestowed on people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I became very aware very, very quickly of like sort of what a larger than life character he was. Yeah. And then it wasn't, you know, so later the same year, wasn't it? 93 that Howard went. And then uh, Mike Walk was appointed in January 94. And yeah, he didn't see eye to eye, I think it's no. fair to say. And uh, I mean, the, it was a really, really low point in the club's fortunes that and uh, the pre-season tour was in, was in Sweden. And, um, you know, so Neville had gone away with them right from the start. And it was before a friendly match and like there was a crowd in, you know, so there's like a lot of youngsters in the crowd. And uh, yeah, his, his kit wasn't out properly. And so Neville had like sort of kicked off and said, look, where's my kit? You know, so I need it. Where I've got to start, as you say, his infamously long warm-ups. And he goes, if that kid's not there in five minutes, I'm going out like this. And all he had on was a pair of football boots and shin pads, nothing else. <laughs> and anyway, you know, so they couldn't find the kit. So we did, he strode out. I've still got this image yeah. of him walking out naked apart from like his ship his famous son the coach running after him <laughs> trying to pull him back and eventually he got it back into the dressing room he found the kids and he walked out you know so fully attired then but again that was Neville he just you know basically you know so wanted to make he, he could he could be stuck with old Neville on oh, the yeah, pitch oh, I remember yeah. the Chelsea in 85 he got yeah. sent off um for, for two bookable offences things enough and um he came off and he took his top off yeah. and he had like, you know, beer so and yeah. he's, he's like, he's not, there's no, not carrying yeah. excess lad there, yeah. you know, and Howard went mad, mad yeah. after the game with him, like, because he felt yeah. he was disrespecting everybody, like, he just was strong, yeah. struck off, you know, walked off with that, you know, and that was a major story, you know, yeah. that Nev getting sent off, goalkeeper was never there, he got sent off yeah. in them days. And it was most of the handling the ball inside the pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think he booked yeah. there, and yeah. he got, yeah. and, and Howard's went mad with them, and I think Nev had a bit of a shock. And I think yeah. he, he, I think he needed sort of cooling down on on occasions. And I think Howard, Howard did that with him with him a few times. And then he got sent off a couple of times in ninety two, ninety three. Yeah. I think didn't he as well? So he got, he yeah. got sent off three times. Yeah, and um, you know, so I think he could be a little bit stroppy on occasions. But what set him apart, I think, from the keepers or the great keepers around that time or before and I remember John Giles saying this and John Giles read the news football saying that if you have a look at other goalkeepers like Shilton like Clements if they can see the goal the first thing they do is shout at the defence <laughs> you know it's all yeah. their fault and stuff yeah. like this and that unnerves everybody he said with Neville he can't he can't be sloppy but if you can see the goal there was no histrionics and yeah. flailing of arms and pointing of fingers and shouting you know um and he said that that, that calm authority was sort of one of his one of his great sense. But there's other gatekeepers who could become very stroppy and unsettled people yeah. on, on occasions. And and Nev was not really like that, but he could be stroppy, you know, on the odd moments. And I think I was at mad at him at 85 at uh, Stanford Bridge after the game really laid into him. You know? Yeah. Well I was supposed to be Mike Walker was 
was a low point. But then after that, Joe, Joe Royal coming in and then rolling back the years in 95 Cup final. So, which meant they was the only Everton player, of course, to win two FA Cup medals. And they, they became 11 years apart from each each other, I mean, it, 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 was, it was another classic um, Southall performance. Yeah, I mean, he never actually got the Man of the Match award that day. Um, was it Waggy got it, I think, Dave? Right. Um, but it's what Gav just said there about calm authority. Because if you look back at the highlights of that game, there's no, like, showreel saves. I mean, everyone, like, plucks out the, uh, the catch from the Paul Skulls shot. Mm. It was a bog-standard catch, to be fair. And, um, you know, he... he made a number of stops that were you would expect Neville Southall to make. They weren't absolutely standout saves. But it was that presence and that calm authority that just, you know, look, I'm in charge here. And uh, there was never any sense that, you know, Everton were up against it, that, you know, we were going to be, you know, so under pressure because he just exuded this authority and this presence throughout the game. And that was, you know, a great quality because that was an age when probably, you know, so his agility was beginning to go a little bit and he wasn't quite the, uh, you know, sort of goalkeeper he had been, but he still had that presence and that next sort of commanding authority. And uh, he was, and he famously drove home after the game. Yeah. Remember there, Paul Ryder saying to me, saying, oh, Nev's got to stay, Nev's got to stay. Because uh, never, I was doing the column with Neville then for the Fussy Echo, and uh, Neville had given like little pats on the back for players throughout the course of the season, and Paul was one of them. That, you know, so he built his confidence up with a few mentions, and Paul was desperate for him to stay and enjoy the night. And now, no, nope, I'm going home. And he famously said in his post-match interview, "When you spend as much time with me as you want to go home as well." <laughs> yeah. And he did. You know, so he drove home after the game, and he, I think he gave a couple of fans a lift. He would seen stranded on the uh, motorway, you know, so hard shoulder. That was just him, just being Neville. And United fans. Yeah, exactly. Right. That, that was just Neville being Neville. If there's an interesting thing about wife, what Plano said about wife and being a little bit indulged, certainly. You know, uh, Nev, and, and there's a little bit of uh, Roy Keane and Nev. Yeah, I think the way like Ferguson indulged Roy Keane, yeah. especially early on, uh, did things for him off the pitch. And Roy Keane sort of focus on professionalism and a bit of disdain for some of the other stuff that yeah. goes on in football, even as a pundit. And, and Nev was like that. I think all that peripheral stuff he was he wasn't particularly interested in. Yeah. It was just about being a, a great professional. But there's a great photo of him. Um, you played Hamlin, it might just be been before Perry, you, you did the overseas tours. You played Hamlin, I think, in 91 in, in Germany, Pipe Pipe of Hamlin. So they had like a couple, a few kids dressed up as rats before okay. the game. <laughs> <laughs> who went out to, okay. to meet the players. There's a photo of Nav where you can just see Nav go, What is this all about? Like, oh, you Disruption know, is preparations. Like, you know, yeah. You can just imagine, I would yeah. love to have seen know, like, what, he, what he was like. Before and after that, like what are these kids as rats <laughs> before the game? Well, what else? So, talking about yeah, yeah. Uh, it was the following the 94 summer, the Mike Walker summer, when we had a pre season tour. First of all, to Sweden, the one we mentioned about him walking out, you know, nearly naked. And then we went to Germany after that and played St. Pauli uh, up in Hamburg. And um, Neville was really, you know, so angry and irritated about the, you know, the, the, the preparations for that game because we were staying in a town called Fiefelstädter which was a four-hour drive south of St. Pauli. Okay. And so we actually left from Fiefelstädter to drive to Hamburg, and the players had to stop halfway at a motorway service station for the pre-match meal. And Neville was going mad, because, uh, you know, they couldn't find anything in the service station that you wanted to eat. And um, he says, this is dog, I remember him now, Dog and Duck United on tour. This is Dog and Duck United. Yeah. So we got to Hamburg. Anyway, he said, hey, TJ, come here. This is before the game. They're warming up. Uh, him and Andy Hinchcliffe, he says, they had these like big, you know, sort of wrap raw sausages, you know, sort of served up with onions and stuff. Go, go and get us one of them. I said, really? Said, yeah, go and get us one. So Andy was like, you know, joining in. Yeah, go on, I'll have one as well. And so I went and bought these like sort of two big hot dogs, like so brought them to the edge of the pitch. 
And Neville came over, took one off me. You see, Andy was a bit nervous. He was like, well, really like little school kids. Should we do this? Should we do this? And that never was like, yeah, yeah, we can copy, have we? You know, so yeah. we need this. So took them off me and marched down and put it in the back of his nest. Whether he actually physically ate it or not, I don't know. But whether it was just him, like making the point, but we've not had a meal yet. I thought he wanted that yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But that's just yeah. a bit like Roy Keane and Saipan, isn't it? Yeah. 2002 with the kit and walking out. There's yeah. that total, total commitment to being a top yeah. professional and everything has to be right. Yeah. And that's what set Roy Keane apart, and that's what set Never apart, and yeah. why he was a great player. That, it's not just the training, is it? It's that total mindset, yeah. thinking on and off the pitch 24-7, yeah. that everything is done to make it, you know, you've got to be the best, you've got to prepare properly. Yeah. And you suspect in, in, even from the late 80s, his mindset was probably different to a lot of, yeah. Mostly with the players, and the dare I say that you know, stuff like yeah, hard drinking yeah, culture, yeah, yeah. and he was a sea wasn't he? Yeah, so. absolutely. And I think that in the early nineties, it was probably even worse because in the eighties you could get away with being hard drinking and still play, play great on on a Saturday. Everybody, every team did that. But by the nineties, that sort of difference was magnified because the game was changing, so yeah. you weren't supposed to drink. So never seeing thinking and being a teetotaler, that that probably magnified the problem for him a lot more, I think. And that came across I think that was due some of the frustrations we've spoken about here really with the way the club was going. even when Howard came back in ninety, you know, you could you could see you could see the difference and, and uh I think now being a senior pro at the time and knowing the standards that you had to have to be the best, I think you could see why he got enormously frustrated and why why you know he asked for has to move a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, if we look back now, twenty-five years on, just how was his his legacy um, viewed, Dave? Um, but obviously, it was tough at the time. They originally tried to get Nigel Martin to to replace yeah. him in '96. Obviously, we all know that ended on fiasco. Signed for Leeds United, got him seven years too late, and in between there, Thomas Muir didn't last too too long either. I mean, it was only I suppose. When when Tim Howard eventually came, stay for, for for ten years, and then he sort of sort of long term yeah. replacement. I mean, how do we sort of view him now? It's, I suppose it's the old question, of course, isn't it? Is he's revered at Everton and rightly so? But I just wonder if the rest of the of the football world perhaps um, treats him with the, the due um, deference that he is his legacy. He should possibly with, possibly yeah. not. I think the passing of time has enhanced his legacy yeah. uh, amongst Evertonians. Uh, we realised at the time how good he was, yeah. uh, but as time passes and you see a succession of goalkeepers that aren't quite as good as he was, and you realise how very, very special he was, and um, he is a living legend, and there aren't many you can say that about. You know, so you you tend to get legendary status bestowed upon you, you know, so in a curious fashion, but you know, he is one hundred percent, you know, so an absolute Everton living legend. Outside of the football club, yeah, he probably did suffer because of like we said the european ban which allowed him you know so not to you know prevented him from you know so displaying his talents on a wider showcase and equally the world cup stage and it, it's very very ironic this because you know his last opportunity to go to a world cup was 94 uh when wales famously lost to romania at home and neville one of his rare mistakes you know, sort of dived over yeah, a shot yeah. in that game and to be fair i mean wales equalized and then paul Bowden famously had the opportunity to you know send them to the world cup final for the penalty and then uh, hit the crossbar with us um and that was his last opportunity to showcase those talents on a real wider stage so yeah he probably is still um 
I don't know, suffering a little bit in that he doesn't quite get the profile he deserves, that you know, people like Schmeichel later got. Yeah. But in a mad Everson kind of way, that makes us love him even more because, yeah. you know, it's, it's the underdog story about, uh, you know, so well, we don't care, we know how good you were. Yeah. Uh, and he was at, a, at, a, yeah, at his peak, and his peak was a long time. It was a seven or eight years. He was the best, you know, in the world. And he's still... I've been watching football since 1975 and he's the best I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, Gav, similar to you. I mean, you, I remember you saying to me, obviously, Liverpool fans don't like to say anything good about yeah. a lot of Everton players and he's probably the, the one Everton player who hardly any read another word to well, the game. No, 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 it's yeah. all about, like, I mean, there's, there's very few players, I think, in Merseyside football who are totally respected across both sides of Stanley Park and um, to their ability. Yeah. You know, from the pool side, say like Dag Leash and you know, because he books, even though yeah. you know, he's he, he, not he's a great player. And Nev is probably the one Everton player that you know, when they say if you put people put children of a saves on Twitter, and you see the comments, on the, invariably there'll be quite a few from Liverpool fans yeah. saying he was a great keeper, you know, yeah. and but even from ones of other clubs, really. Yeah. And when you say about like sort of legacy, it's a long time ago now, yeah. yeah. You know, we talk about the Premier League of before 1992. That's 30 years ago, isn't it, really? Yeah. So I've made this event that you, what, 30, oh, 40, 80, years 40 years ago? Yes, October 81. So it's a long time ago, you know. So it, it, but I, I remember at the time thinking, even like an 80s, when you look at like an 82 and 85 and 87, Nev was, he was above, he, he was the best player in the team. I would imagine that, I, I mean, there was there would be like most players you probably played with never probably say that he was probably the best player that they ever played with yeah. you know, even though he was a goalkeeper he, he was that good and his legacy for me is like he's the greatest living Everton player isn't he i'd say after dixie dean he's the greatest Everton player i put him ahead of Alan ball i know it's different with the goalkeeper but his longevity and yeah. his influence on the team yeah. um you know so so if you think about that's a great achievement in, in itself but there's something else, isn't it, about Nev that's a little bit more intangible. It is a little bit about his intent, you know. Yeah. It's like his indifference to the whole fame thing, you know, his stubbornness. That yeah. I think sometimes as an Everton supporter, <laughs> you can sort of identify his bloody mindedness, you yeah. know, you can identify with. And I think that's sort of like what, what makes him great as well, well for that's me. It. People, you know? people hate arrogance you know some yeah. players that have you know sort of got ideas above the station and Neville was quite the opposite yeah. uh, I remember when I was a young you know sort of young journalist going up to Belfield and I was playing Sunday league football at the time and I uh, fancied myself as a penalty taker <laughs> and I was always trying to say to Nev, I was saying come on let's get out on the pitch I'll take penalty against you and I fancied myself to like score you know I, I said 100% I'll, I'll score 10 out of 10 against you 10 out of 10 I was a young kid who was like you know sort of full of you know sort of ridiculously misplaced self-confidence and uh, Nev was always, no, 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 I'm not doing it. I'm shit at penalties. I'm shit at penalties. And I'm saying, well, Nev was out there. And yeah. he wasn't. He was great at penalties. But that was him downplaying his, his greatness, as it had been Mark Falco. Oh, and he put it straight at me. Uh, and he did. He always downplayed his talent. Uh, and he was he was like just a, a force of nature. But he was humble with it. Yeah. In a strange way, you know, he knew how good he was, but never, ever advertised the fact. And that's, again, you know, sort of why he was so highly regarded, yeah. I think. I, I always think about, like, Talking about the Falco save, he had that sense of awe. I think even with the puns, because remember Falco said after the game, the space players in the dressing room, and we're just complete silence. <laughs> yeah, just sitting there, silence. I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah. you know, we couldn't believe the save at the end, and yeah. they knew how critical it was in the season. 
And this, 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 that memory, the two memories you've got is that save, and the other one is Hillsborough in the, yeah. at the end of the eighty-five season, but he makes an incredible save off him, Ray Ferrari, yeah, yeah. where he actually moves to go to his left, yeah. thinking Ferrari's going to hit it, but Ferrari says mishits it a little yeah. bit, as in Ray was prone to do if he ever wants an effort yeah. and it sort of catches the ins- in, his instep, and it goes to the far post. And you know, it's he, he and he, I was like behind the goal, and you just watch and you think, you know, yeah, like, yeah. How, how did he do that? But it, yeah. it's after that, that 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 wasn't the end of it because in the next 90 seconds, Sheffield Wednesday had six corners, yeah. and he, he produces a fantastic save about like 15 seconds later, yeah. off a header from like one of his like Falco saves, you know, right? So, you know, he tips it away, and then Brian Marwood hits the bar. And I remember David Lacey's, you know, fantastic football, like to say, in that. Um, you know, Everton showed why they are where they are, and they did it on the goal line. And yeah. that's just nerf basically yeah. for 90 seconds, keeping yeah. Sheffield Wednesday back because they won that day. And if you had the won that day, they wouldn't have won the tag against keeping you see. Yeah. So that, that's the difference, you know. And those would be two memories. And the other one, which is just remembered critical moments in seasons in '87, we went to Chelsea again, compete for the title with Liverpool. One Chelsea just equalized, and um thinking oh, we get beat here, the title's gone again. And a typical like a nerve save off the uh, close range of Kerry Dixon, incredible way like, reflexes. Ball goes out, Kevin Rackford carries on up the pitch, ends up with Alan Harper, yeah. Alan Harper scores tw- 20 <laughs> seconds after Nev's yeah. made, made a crucial save. And um, Harper takes us to the top of the table 20 yeah. seconds later. And that's what great players do. And yeah. that's why Neville was the, the greatest. Yeah. Something that I hope you all enjoyed listening to that as much as we we enjoyed doing it, and it'd probably uh, be a, a fitting tribute for Neville and, it, and his career at Goodison Park. And we'll be back with you soon with some more um, Everton podcasts throughout the World Cup. But um, thank you, Dave. Thank you, Gav. This has been a special edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.